I'm your host, David Nage. This is Baselayer, where institutional investors come to learn about crypto. The views, information, or opinions expressed during the Baselayer podcast series are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of ARCA, where David Nage is a principal. ARCA is not responsible and does not verify the accuracy of any of the information contained in the podcast series available for listening. The primary purpose of this podcast series is to educate and inform. The podcast series does not constitute financial advice or other professional advice or services. Please do your own research. This is David and this is your new episode of Baselayer. I'm really excited about this one, folks, because many years ago when I started the podcast, I had the pleasure of having Matt Galligan, uh, who was really early on into the whole notion of things like picks and shovels, which is basically one of the things he was working on, and the idea of infrastructure that was needed to really make digital assets, blockchains, crypto, whatever you want to use today, work. I lost touch with Matt a little bit, but I was able to get back in touch with him. And lo and behold, Matt is working on probably one of the most exciting companies in the space. I'm really kind of kicking myself that I lost touch with you, Matt. But we have Matt Galligan, co-founder of XMTP with us today. Matt, how are you, brother? I'm doing awesome. Glad to be chatting. Good to reconnect. I know. Seriously, Matt is an OG. I say that, you know, kind of as a dad. An OG. Yes, he's been an OG. Yes, he's an OG. <laughs> Matt is an OG. He's been around the block many, many, many times and really excited to talk about all things XMTP. We're going to talk about some things that are pretty intensive here, but I want to promise you all that we're going to try to abstract it away and try to make it into terms and to concepts that you can understand. But in general, and Matt's going to do a far better you know, job of this than I am, XMTP is doing things behind the scenes that you and I take for granted every single day in Web 1 and Web 2 interactions that we do every day, like email. I might send email from Hotmail to someone who's using Gmail, to someone who's then using Outlook. I might be sending a message from my SMS, my text message to someone who's using a different server, a different application, a different platform. I might send something from my iOS, from my Apple phone to someone who's using Android. All of these things happen every single day, thousands and millions and billions of times every single week, and we don't even notice in how these things work. Well, when you're building a whole new system, Web3, these things need to happen, especially when you have different blockchains and different layers of operations. And XMTP basically does all of that behind the scenes without many people knowing about it and just works. It just works. So Matt's going to talk us all about through that. So Matt, you know, as I said, you've been around the block for a few years, many years in this space. Give us the, you know, kind of explain it like I'm five version of XMTP. And then we're going to go into a lot of other things about what you're doing behind the scenes. Yeah, totally. The The gist here is that when, when we saw kind of Web3 take rise with things like NFTs and communities being built and all of this kind of stuff, it was really clear that there were still primitives that needed to get worked out, communication being one of them. If you think about Web 1.0 and, and email and just how critical that is to pretty much everything, <laughs> uh, how we get accounts, how, you know, all of that, it's kind of crazy that we have this, uh, say, really 
interesting and new means of identity and owned accounts and all of this kind of stuff, uh, but no ability to communicate between those identities. And so we kicked off in building XMTP because we wanted to solve that particular problem. You know, if you were the owner of a specific NFT and I happen to be the creator of that, it would make sense that I should be able to reach out to you. And years ago, I mean, there have been some, uh, say, centralized solutions for this. I could sign in with a wallet and, and say, be able to have some messaging take place. But you know, we saw this as a much, much deeper, more core problem to be solved, something that should be handled at a protocol level, and something that the current, say, blockchains were not designed to do. The Between the throughput, uh, challenges around privacy, all of those things, they had to be taken into account. And so we build XMTP. Uh, the gist of it is that uh, you sign in with your wallet, and you are setting up, say, encryption keys, because all of the communications are end-to-end encrypted and kept private. But then because it's a protocol, you might be using it in an app that you already use today and maybe don't even know. Lens Protocol, for example, is based off of or uses XMTP for its DMs. There are uh, some wallets on the way that will have the functionality of messaging from this. And it's really freaking simple. Yeah, just I punch in your name and I send you a message. <laughs> Everything else is kind of handled complexity wise by the by the protocol and the SDKs. And that's the way it's supposed to work. You know, this is a thing that I think we've lost as an industry over the last few years is you know, the end user who's especially especially those that are not native to this world, they don't care about that. They don't care about, oh, this is how it works. No, they just want it to work. They want it to be fast. They want it to totally. do everything. That, yeah. They don't they don't want to know about that stuff. But here is an interesting part of that. So you just alluded to, obviously, some of the complexities here, because as I said again from the onset, in Web 1 and 2, we take these things for granted. If I send someone uh, a message from Telegram to someone who's using WhatsApp, you know, it's it just, you know, you know, there's an expectation that things communicate. If I send a Gmail to someone who's using Hotmail, there's a expectation that things just work, and they do. And so it's been difficult, as you alluded to, uh, because you have... Applications built on Solana, you have applications built on Ethereum, you have applications built on Avalanche, you have you know, applications built on Flow and the other different L1s or L2s, Polygon, whatever out there. And they all have different, you know, kind of, as you said, throughputs, different speeds, different consensus mechanisms, all of that. And so that right there, just to give you a sense, everyone who's listening, there is a lot of complexity here. And we're not going to spend the next 25 minutes going through that. But just to know, there is a lot of complexity there. And obviously, we'll make sure that there are links to XMTP's Education Center, where you guys can learn more about that. But let's get into the verification side of things. You alluded to that with the keys. And so, to quote your site, to use XMTP, you create an XMTP identity that you can use to send and receive messages with any app built with XMTP, as you alluded to, Lens, as an example. And for those that don't know, Lens is one of the new kind of players in the space, Farcasters and other out there and a few others that are trying to create the next version of Twitter in a decentralized manner. And so it is a place to basically have social interactions, communicate, chat, et cetera, et cetera. 
Going forward, because you create the identity using an Ethereum's account public and private keys that you only have access to, you own and control your XMTP identity. Now, here's where I want to get into this, because you and I both know there's yeah. been lots of scams, lots of hacks. It's been pretty messy sure. because as an industry, security has needed to really get to the next level. And I think we're starting to get there with a lot of these startups that are trying to build into the space. So there have been a handful of scams over the last few years, especially, you know, you have new users who don't necessarily have the best techniques for OPSEC with keys and password. Uh, they might just take a screenshot of it, obviously kind of put on the cloud. A lot of issues out there. Is there a better way, in your opinion, and you guys are thinking about it, to create identity that, you know, there's not just your keys today? You know, what does that look like? You know, we've seen some thoughts, obviously, you know, those out there who want to scan their retinas can go to the powers of WorldCoin. Maybe we'll have Sam Altman and the team at WorldCoin on one day to talk about that. But there are those that are trying to use biometrics to also build a decentralized identity in addition to obviously having, obviously, you know, on-chain identity through Ethereum keys. What are you guys thinking about that? Yeah, I think that uh, solving for the complexity of managing your own keys is definitely a something worth doing. <laughs> we as XMTP are, you know, kind of a layer above that. So all the work being done today around the the term would be account abstraction. It's the mm -hmm. idea that you're not tying an account to one specific set of keys, but rather abstracting that so it can be any combination of keys, say multiple keys, or it could even be something like, you know, the the pass keys that are starting to come around as mm -hmm. a new way of authenticating in, in Web2. There's a lot of ways to uh, to be able to handle that. And so we see it as we just need to be compatible with any of these solutions so that if you are hardcore and you do want to use, let's say, your traditional uh, Ethereum account, public private key pair, whatever, to be able to do this, then so be it. If you want to use a a self or a hosted wallet, uh, you can do that. That's the kind of thing that we want to make sure that we enable. Mm -hmm. The one thing that I'll I'll caveat that with is that no matter what, there's still say an identity uh, that is generated in the XMTP world, and that is so that you can get these these encryption keys. And that's that sort of final step to ensure that when I'm talking to you, that those communications are say exclusively between our identities, our, our accounts, mm -hmm. and that most importantly, on your end, you can verify those things. You, you mentioned scams and, and phishing and all those things. And that's something that I think about all the time where, you know, if you want to be able to communicate with a organization or with a, a community, right now we're doing those things in Discord. Discord is not connected to wallets. And even if mm -hmm. it was, it's still, you know, centralized maybe not trustworthy. Mm -hmm. And whenever I jump into some of these rooms, they say like, we will never DM you. And that's because you cannot trust that the DMs you receive are going to be, say, authentically from that project. Well, you can in a world like one that we're, we're building with XMTP. If I send you a message, you can absolutely know uh, beyond a shadow of a doubt that it was whoever was the holder of my keys hopefully me, <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, that sent you that message. Now, if I, my, my wallet gets totally compromised, then that's, uh, that, that's, that's a different story. But otherwise, you know, we, we believe in a world where you and I can have private communication, secure communications, and that can be trusted yep. uh, that it is who you are intending to talk to. Yep. 
And I think that's a big thing. You know, it's again, trying to bring, you know, you and I have been at this for a while, trying to bring the next wave of users here. They need to feel good about these things. They need to have in a, in a trustless environment that we're trying to build, they need to have a level of trust with it. I know it sounds kind of ironic, but it, it's, it's the yeah. same. Yeah. It's, they need to have some trust in a trustless system. I want to get into Absolutely. something big. I want to get into something big. So while taking a look, and as I said, I'm very interested in what's happening with XMTP. I saw that there is a pretty big milestone uh, that you are working on or you announced um, in May. And this is what you're calling XMTPD, I believe. And this is where you're experimenting. And again, this is where we're getting a little technical, folks. Don't get scared. Sure. I'm going I'm to do, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do you well by everything here. and We're going to abstract it away. Merkle CRDT based replication. Now, before Matt goes into what this is, a conflict free replicated data type, which is what we are calling a CRDT, is a data structure that simplifies distributed data storage systems and multi user applications. In many systems, copies of some data need to be stored on multiple computers, known as replicas. And so, some examples of this, again, Real-world applications, things that we do every single day that you have no idea about. Mobile apps that store data on the local device and that need to sync to other data to other devices belonging to the same user. Anyone who's ever used a calendar uh, application, that's one example. Notes, contacts, reminders, anything on your phone that you're basically putting there that you're connecting to another kind of locally stored device, this is an example of that. Distributed databases. Uh, this is where you're maintaining multiple replicas of the data. And this is you know, something that we see often with things like collaboration software, such as Google Docs. Has anyone ever used a Google Doc that's listening to this? You have encountered a CRDT-type replication system. Trello, Figma, all those types of things. So this is going to be pretty big for apparently what you guys are working on. So walk us through this. And I've hopefully not bastardize what Merkle CRDT-based replication mm -hmm. is. Well, we can even live, uh, you know, a layer above. Like, all of that is really awesome, you know, detail and and background. The, the really simple gist of this is that if you think about data storage, when you are, say, in a distributed environment, like a decentralized network, there's just coordination that needs to take place. You need to know that, Say there's a copy on one machine and a copy on another machine. And then in the event that I'm trying to go and, and look for that data, that I can know, one, where it is, and two, that it wasn't, say, tampered with and uh, and that it matches whatever I might have locally. So a lot of that is just to, to work out that complexity, but also to coordinate some of those, say, additions, changes, deletions, whatever, uh, at the network level. You know, XMTPD is that's just short for XMTP uh, daemon, uh, meaning like a, a a network background program. And the premise of releasing it as a experiment, if you will, is that this will be the basis on which the XMTP network is decentralized. Right now, we are decentralized in a sense that the front end development has been entirely decentralized. Like we have a, a demo front end that you can run, but there's 350 some odd apps that all have 
their own version of a front end. And so there's a there's definitely a type of decentralization that's taking place there. Now we're ready to decentralize that back end where everything is stored. And so this is the first step in that process where now anyone can can download that package and run a sort of a local environment to understand how it works. And then soon enough that will all patch in together so that we can form the, the first test net uh, where all of these computers that are not ours, uh, but rather a you know collection of uh, interested parties, third parties, all of these things can start to, to, to form that network. It is different than a blockchain. I'll be very clear about that. Where blockchains, uh, you know, the intent is that everyone is replicating the same data. Uh, there's a different type of system that needs to take place here because messaging is messy. We don't have to worry about, say, issues around double spend, meaning uh, I'm going to perform some sort of action that I can send this same coin to two different places. We don't have to worry about those types of problems. And there's all kinds of issues that would happen if you had to store every single message on every single computer. Mm-hmm. So maybe that starts out that way. And maybe that's how it begins to decentralize. But over time, it will get more and more decentralized. I think you handled that well. And again, we're not trying to blow people's minds here. We're trying to give you some insights. And so I think that this is really important, in my opinion. Again, we're we're trying to get to a stage, and Matt and I have talked about this for years, you know, obviously together and also not together, that you know, we need to get to a point where things just work, you know? Yes. Yeah. You, you turn it on and it works. And that's what we I mean. Expect. I'll 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 mention that like your your examples of of email are interesting. Email lives in a federated world, which mm-hmm. means that you know, Gmail has their servers and Hotmail has those servers. Mm-hmm. And there's a language that they can use to transmit messages back and forth. But ultimately, when you have an account with either one, you are only with that provider. Yep. Similarly, in messaging apps like Telegram and Signal, uh, those are centralized. And I only have a relationship with Telegram. Uh, Telegram doesn't communicate those messages over to WhatsApp or Signal yep. or anything like that. In this world that we're trying to create, it's that you have your account that you bring that you control yep. any app that you connect to i can send messages to and through and they end up on the other end and i don't care what app you happen to be using and you know what if you don't like that app at the end of the day you can pop over to another app take your messages with you and get started again it's really about building this this substrate of communication protocol and architecture and infrastructure that will mean that, hey, eventually secure communication and messaging is just a, a public good uh, that can be used by uh, by any person, any app for any purpose. We're going to go through the 2023 version of tear down that wall. All of these are walled <laughs> gardens. So tear down that wall. Do you hear that? You know, it's just a funny way to think about it. But one of the things, um, and I appreciate, obviously, the follow up on that. One of the things I also wanted to talk about, again, you know, as I said, we're trying to build systems, we're trying to build applications that look, feel, uh, have the same type of experience that, you know, the everyday user that is not already native to digital assets acknowledges and has a a good time with. One of those issues that you all are going to have to try to obviously, you know, deal with is network latency. So one of the principal causes of network latency is distance, specifically the distance between client devices making requests and the servers responding to those requests. The amount of time it takes for a response to reach a client device. Now, again, 
technical terms, but you know, basically just think about it. Me and Matt are commu- communicating. We're sending messages. It takes time. I might be in Palo Alto. Matt might be in you know parts of Florida. It takes a little time because it's going through different servers and different pieces. So there's time there. And so what this is typically called, uh, especially when you're sending messages, you know, maybe across a country or across different uh, nations, if you will, uh, is round trip time. RTT is what you know a lot of people call it. RTT is equal to double the amount of latency uh, since data has to travel in both directions and there and back. So data traveling the internet usually has to cross not just one, but multiple different networks. And so the more networks that a HTTP response needs to pass through, the more opportunities there are for delays. And if anyone has ever you know, gone to a website that is kind of slow, it might not just be your Wi-Fi, it might just be obviously the connectivity there. These are things that you have experienced all the time. Uh, if you're trying to watch something on Netflix and it's buffering, again, that's an experience that you, you know, this is all things that you experience on a daily basis. So again, this is data packets crossing between network networks and they go through what's called, and this is web one and two, they go through something called an internet exchange point, IXP. There, routers have to process and route the data packets. This is all information. It could be emails. It could be obviously streaming data that you're watching. And at times, routers may need to break them up into smaller packets, all of which needs adds a few milliseconds to your experience. Again, this is milliseconds, but you know, again, we expect things to happen as soon as we press a button. And so that's the world that we live in now. So what are you guys doing in terms of handling that? I know there's usually, you know, there's more nodes that need to be on the system. Uh, obviously, closer proximity typically are things, you know, to uh, data delivery packets for information latency. How are you handling all this when 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 web one and two has had 20 plus 30 years of infrastructure built behind it to deal with it? Well, the good part is, is that we have, you know, 10, 20, 30 years of prior art in how to deal with these sorts of things. And mm-hmm. so there's a lot that comes down to, you know, where the systems will be distributed. That's part of why decentralization matters so much is mm-hmm. that we make sure that these uh, these servers, these nodes are able to be run on you know simplest simple systems if possible in the far reaches of the world. In and really from a, a networking perspective, it's it's not necessarily a entirely solved problems. Obviously, there's there's challenges with it, but there's enough of background and existing things that have been done that can help us get there much, much quicker. What actually tends to be the problem here and is a little bit different in the world of communication is that the latency might change how I am viewing a conversation. And the mm-hmm. analogy that I like to use is the the, the book or, or or movie, The Martian by, mm-hmm. by Andy Weir, you know, portrayed by Matt Damon, you mm-hmm. know, there's there's some 20 minutes uh, that would take place between communications of of Earth and Mars. And you can imagine if I'm sending a bunch of messages from Earth and they're eventually arriving to Mars, and in that process, somewhere in there, there were messages that were coming back my way, my view of that transcript would be different than, say, someone else's. And I use this sort of extreme of Mars to illustrate that then when you break it down into seconds, milliseconds, whatever it happens to be, that context of a conversation can dramatically change depending upon 
who the viewer is mm-hmm. uh, and what the latency was at that moment. And so, you know, there's user experience challenges that we've got to work through on that, and especially when we're not in control of those front ends. Uh, there's things to be concerned about there too. And so it's it's a it's a complex problem. It is not a entirely solved problem, but it's something that we we consider very deeply and and definitely want to make sure that there's a a high quality user experience around it. And so digging deeper into that, you know, as I said, you know, kind of proximity, you know, if if, if you have, I imagine, correct me if I'm wrong, if you have more nodes on the system and you have closer proximity to packet delivery and messages going back and forth, I would imagine theoretically that latency would be improved. When can I run my own node? When are you guys getting that set up where, you know, users like me and others that may be listening, when can we run our own node? Well, as of today, the XMTPD software is your own node. It's not the one that is currently carrying the XMTP network messages, but it will be eventually. And so really, it's a matter of getting that software to a place where we can have that network participation. There is a piece that we uh, say are concerned about, and that's what will take some time, is the coordination of those nodes. In a decentralized network, in a trustless and permissionless environment, Mm -hmm. uh, you have malicious actors that can jump in and want to ruin the party for everybody. And so once there's a confidence that we won't see or have a means of dealing with some of these malicious actors, then yes, being able to run nodes uh, will be something that the general public can do. What the machine requirements are and stuff like that, I can't speak to right now, but it definitely is something that we, you know, care, care deeply about. And, you know, one of the ways that, you know, in the past models have been is having a token and then having a negative incentive. So if you're, you know, a bad actor, a malicious actor, just, you know, someone who, who we don't want to deal with, yeah. Uh, who's trying to do things to screw everyone else up? You would just burn their 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 tokens, and you know they would lose thousands, possibly thousands, and thousands of dollars worth of of assets. And so there was a negative incentive model there. So I'm very curious. I can obviously keep up with you guys. How are you working through that? Because obviously through verification, through decentralized identities, through staking models that were in the past, there's a lot. It's it's an evolving process, and I'm very curious how you think through it. And and uh, obviously we'll have you guys back on again for that conversation and more as XMTBD and all the other things that you guys are working on. Is there anything you know in the last minute here, Matt, uh, on the on the kind of the roadmap that you want to alert people to that just keep their eyes and ears on to? Yeah, just using it. <laughs> At the end of the day, that's the that's the big thing. We, you know, we built it in a way that it is usable today. You're going to start to see it in more places mm-hmm. and just getting creative. If we have not been in a place where you could communicate reliably between, you know, two different addresses, what changes when you can? And that's the thing that I kind of like to leave with because, hey, there's a new primitive on the block and there's more to do in the space as a result of it. What does that mean for, you know, helping coordination with different things today, but also what does it mean to the parties that are trying to build the bigger tent? How do we bring in more users with this? How does this help the ecosystem in general? That's the kind of stuff that I'd like to leave with. Awesome. 
Matt Galligan, co-founder at XMTP, uh, someone who, as I said again, has been an integral part of this whole industry, if you will, for years. And uh, XMTP is one of the most interesting companies out there, as I said in the onset. We'll make sure everyone sees uh, where to go, where to learn. Matt, thank you for being on. We'll have you on hopefully soon. Of course. Thank you so much. It's good to be on. Thanks for listening in to Baselayer. If you like the show and all the different guests that we've brought on, please give a like and subscribe on Apple or Spotify or wherever you do listen to the podcast. Also, if you want to have a conversation or reach out to me, you can reach me out on Twitter at David J. Nage. And let's talk there. Or also you can find me on LinkedIn. And I look forward to having great conversations with you all about digital assets.